This weekend, NPR interviewed Representative Adrian Smith, Republican of Nebraska, and asked him a gotcha question. Is every American entitled to eat? The segment was about cutting food stamps, and NPR's agenda was clear. Show that Republicans don't care if Americans starve, which is why they want to cut food stamps. Smith answered, well, they, nutrition, obviously, we know is very important, and I would hope that we can look to, it is essential, it is essential. This was not enough for the media, who declared Smith a dunderhead. After all, doesn't everyone have the right to food? Now, imagine a land where there is a right to food, housing, and health care. Imagine that such rights were enshrined in the constitution of that land. That would mean that everyone in the land could live free without the burden of worry over such basic resources, right? No. The South African constitution guarantees a right to all of these commodities. In fact, the constitution even creates a legal duty for the government to help secure such commodities. Yet there are some 11 million food insecure people in the country, including 1.5 million children with chronic malnutrition and growth stunting. Life expectancy in South Africa is 57 years. There are currently 12 million people in the country without adequate housing. The population of South Africa is about 55 million people. Declaring a commodity a right, it is obvious, does not make that commodity materialize, and it certainly doesn't make it materialize in the most efficient fashion. Markets make commodities materialize in the most efficient fashion. In the United States, 9 out of 10 Americans live above the global poverty standard. 96% of poor parents say their children were never hungry in the past year, according to scholars at the Heritage Foundation. And a poor child is more likely to have a cable TV, a computer, a widescreen plasma TV, an Xbox, or a TiVo in the home than to be hungry. Even the Department of Agriculture, the government agency responsible for administration of food stamps, upon which approximately 15% of Americans now rely, admit that well under 6% of Americans' households have to worry even about decreased calorie consumption. Want to know what fills the gap for Americans when they're poor? Feeding America, a private charity that receives $900 million per year in food donations, the vast bulk from private companies. In fact, there is a strong link between food stamps and obesity. So... Is America worse off than South Africa, despite our Constitution not mandating food as a right? Of course not. We're significantly better off, because it turns out that using government to confiscate wealth from the very people who produce cheaper and more plentiful products ends up exacerbating scarcity. Declaring things rights feels good, but when those rights come with forced redistributionism, the things become less available. So no. You don't have a right from the government to food. You have the freedom from government to live in a country where food is available in plenty and where your fellow Americans help pick you up when you are down. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, I hope everybody had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I hope that you took a few minutes to pay honor and tribute to the men and women who have sacrificed their lives, laid down their lives for the freedoms that we now enjoy. Obviously, that's that's a sacrifice we can never live up to, but that doesn't stunt our ability to try or relieve us of our ability to try. I want to talk a little bit about President Trump on Memorial Day, which I thought was actually quite wonderful. Uh, and I also want to talk about the, the breaking scandal, non-scandal of Jared Kushner and all of that. But first, I want to say thank you to our friends over at Helix Sleep, our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So this is the best mattress that I have ever slept on. So Helix Sleep, the way that this works, you go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. They give you a survey as to which do you like to lie on your side? Do you like to lie on your stomach when you sleep? Do you lie on your back? Do you like the mattress to be firmer or softer? Do you like it to be kind of heat absorbent or do you like it to be cool? Well, after you do that, they develop a 3D biomechanical model of your body through their proprietary algorithms they've developed with the world's leading ergonomics and biomechanics experts, and they give you the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. They send it to you in a box. You open up the box. You unroll it. It immediately inflates because it is a foam mattress, and uh, and then you just put it on your bed, and if you don't like it, you can try it for 100 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it right back to them. 
and they'll give you a 100% refund, I promise you, you won't end up using it. Helix customers report a 30% improvement in overall sleep quality. I love my Helix sleep mattress. My wife loves the Helix sleep mattress. And we also, you, you can get a Helix sleep mattress that actually has separate settings for both sides of the bed. So if you and your spouse uh, do not enjoy sleeping on the same type of mattress, then Helix sleep can fix that for you as well. Go to helixsleep.com slash men. You get $50 off your order. It's also a lot cheaper than it would, a lot more inexpensive than it would be if you bought one of these really, really expensive mattresses uh, from them all. So you go to helixsleep.com slash Ben to get $50 off your order. $50 off your order at helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, that's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. So President Trump spent Memorial Day the way that the president is supposed to spend Memorial Day, honoring the fallen. So he went over to Arlington National Cemetery, and there he gave what I thought was quite a wonderful speech. Uh, and it, it is a marked difference. When when Trump talks about the military, and I think this is why so many people resonate to Trump and resonated to him during the general election. When Trump talks about the military, there's a marked warmth there. This is a guy who likes the military. This is a guy who has respect for the military. It's somebody who sees the military as the leading edge of American power and American goodness and decency. As opposed to President Obama, who always seemed a bit discomfited with, with the American military. He always seemed like somebody who was uncomfortable with American military power, somebody who was uncomfortable around soldiers and members, other members of the military. It, the same thing with Hillary Clinton, who reportedly back in the 90s actually asked if there was a way that she could prevent people from wearing the uniform in the White House. Uh, that was according to a couple of people who worked in the White House at the time. Trump obviously has a lot of warmth toward the military, and that showed on Memorial Day, which is quite wonderful. Here was President Trump speaking yesterday about the sacrifice made by the fallen. Let us also pledge to tell the stories of Robert, Chris, Andrew, and all of America's fallen warriors today and for the next 1,000 years. And uh, he spoke, I thought, in, in really glowing terms about the military. It was, it was really quite wonderful. He also marked his first Memorial Day as commander-in-chief by heading through the throngs of motorcycles, participating in Rolling Thunder. The Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, also was part of Rolling Thunder. And um, he, uh, he delivered a, a tribute. He called service members angels sent to us by God. He said, to every Gold Star family, God is with you and your loved ones are with him. They died in war so that we could live in peace. Every time you see the sunrise over this blessed land, please know that your brave sons and daughters pushed away the night and delivered for us for all of us, that great and glorious dawn. Pretty good stuff. Uh, and again, this is one of the reasons, I think, why President Trump is, um, I, I think this is why President Trump is, is there, there's a certain gut-level Americanism that people, people resonate to in Trump. Uh, there are things about America that I think Trump doesn't understand, but I think he does understand gut-level patriotism. And there's a great picture of Trump hugging a six-year-old boy named Christian Jacobs who's dressed like a Marine because his father, who's a Marine Sergeant Christopher Jacobs, was killed during a training accident in California in 2011. Uh, and the, you, you won't see any of this on the news, by the way. The, the media refused to cover anything that Trump does that's unifying or nice, uh, and this was unifying and nice and uh, good for President Trump for doing it. The other, I thought, great tribute to the military came from an active or a a former active duty military guy, was active duty until five minutes ago, uh, General James Mattis, who, of course, is the Secretary of Defense. He was asked over the weekend on one of the news shows about what keeps him awake at night. Now, normally, when members of the administration, you know, Obama, Trump, anybody else, when they're asked what keeps them awake at night, they talk about Russia, they talk about ISIS, they talk about all the various threats in the world. This is a stellar answer. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. <laughs> 
<laughs> pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I, I, I love that. So basically, it was, it was him channeling Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. He is the one who knocks. Pretty spectacular stuff. Well, here's the thing. Trump has the capacity to unify. He does. If, if he would just you know, pay attention to pay attention to policy. If you just buckle down, do patriotic rallies, go out there. This is why I think on his foreign trip, he gained some points in the estimation of the American public because he didn't represent America badly. He went out there and he was fine. He was fine. I mean, there were a lot of people in the media who were very upset about him, like pushing the the president of Estonia, I guess, out of the way uh, or doing this kind of weird handshake with uh, Emmanuel Macron, who's the president of France. But in essence, Trump was fine abroad. And despite the media's best efforts to paint him as some sort of idiot who's going to make America look boorish and terrible on the world stage, we'll talk about Europe's reaction to Trump in just a second, because it's actually Europe that's being really stupid. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the point I'm making here is that Trump is still a president with potential. At this point in time, Bill Clinton had a lower approval rating than Donald Trump does. So Trump still has the potential to turn this thing around. In order for him to turn this thing around, though, he's going to need to start acting in ways that aren't vague. What I mean by that is that the big controversy over the weekend was this controversy over Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner is, of course, Trump's son-in-law. Jared Kushner really has no business being part of the government. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to break it to folks, but Jared Kushner is not qualified to be in government. He spent no time at all in his life thinking about government, thinking about governance. He is a stock guy. He's a stock market Wall Street guy who happens to be married to the president's daughter, and suddenly he's in charge of Middle East peace, the opioid crisis, the infrastructure plan, and all these other things Trump doesn't want to deal with. Again, if Hillary Clinton had done the same thing with Chelsea's husband, we'd all be saying this is ridiculous in every sense of the word. Trump has given all this power to Jared, and now Jared got Trump sort of in trouble because there are all these stories breaking over the weekend. I want to deconstruct them and break them down because the media is making more of them than they are, but Trump should still move on beyond Jared Kushner, who is a New York leftist who has no business in government. So here's what broke over the weekend. On Thursday, NBC News reported that Jared Kushner was subject of scrutiny in the FBI's ongoing Russia probe. We talked about this on Thursday. It makes no difference because, again, there's no element that says that he's actually guilty of anything at this point. So, so what? Okay, so he's, so they're looking at him. Not a big deal. Then on Friday, the Washington Post drops a bombshell, right? They report that Kushner and the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, and Slate has a, a good rundown of this. They're real leftists, but this is basically just straight reporting. They reported that Kushner and Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, discussed setting up a secret communications back channel between the Trump transition scene, uh, team and the Kremlin in December. In March, the White House said the two had met, but the Post sources say the FBI took an interest in what was discussed. And then, apparently, right after that, Kushner had a meeting with the head of a Russian Putin-run bank, basically, right about the same time. The detail in the Washington Post report that's damning is not that they were setting up back channels. Lots of presidents set up back channels with other countries for negotiation purposes because they don't want every negotiation to be out in the open. It's important you be able to pick up the phone and have talks with people. One of the more nefarious ones that should have drawn more scrutiny was in 2008, Barack Obama set up a back channel with the Iranian government, which really should have drawn scrutiny, should have prevented him from being elected if we didn't have our heads up our butts. But, you know, the back channels are certainly common in American politics. The problem with this back channel is that according to the Washington Post, and this is under dispute now, Fox News said that it didn't really go down this way. The New York Times said it couldn't confirm. The Washington Post sticks by its reporting. The White House has not denied this. Kushner apparently asked the Russian ambassador Kislyak, if the back channel could involve him walking over to the Russian embassy and speaking in person to Kislyak and using basically methods of communication from the Russian embassy back to Vladimir Putin. Now, that is actually suspicious. So if that's true, that's a problem. Why would you want to set up what is basically what they call a skiff, uh, which is a, a secure 
a secure compartmentalized area where intelligence can't get in. Why would you do that from the Russian embassy? Why would you want it so that the Russian KGB, the FSB, why would you, why wouldn't you want the F, why would you want us that the FSB could monitor your communications, but the NSA could not? That is suspicious and that's a problem. But again, that has not been confirmed and there's suspicion that maybe the Russians are leaking that out there just to make trouble. So we don't have confirmation on that. It is notable the White House has not formally denied that yet. And then, on Saturday, Reuters reported Kushner had made undisclosed contacts with Kislyak between April and November of last year. Its sources said the two discussed terrorism and economic relations between the U.S. and Russia. On Sunday, the New York Times reported that Kushner was among the voices pushing Trump to fire James Comey. Uh, And Monday, the New York Times reported that Kushner met in December with Putin associate Sergei Gorkov, who was the head of that Russian bank I was talking about, subject to U.S. sanctions in the interest of establishing a back channel with the Kremlin. That's a weird report also, because Gorkov is not a political actor. He's actually just a financial actor. So that's a very weird way of setting up a back channel. So it's the way the back channel was set up that's a little bit suspicious. And the fact that they didn't report any of these contacts in the first place, which they could have done in confidential classified settings. Now, the the answer to this is basically one of two things. One is they were setting up some sort of back channel because they don't trust American intelligence not to leak. That's quasi-fair, considering that American intelligence has been unbelievably leaky ever since Trump took office. It's also a little bit suspicious, again, because... The people in intelligence, whatever you else you say about them, David French makes this point, at least they take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. You can't say the same about the FSB. And if you're talking about people with nefarious beliefs and nefarious intent, I'd go FSB before CIA. But defense number one is that. Defense number two is just ignorance, that Jared didn't know what he was doing. He wanted to set up a secure back channel where he couldn't be monitored. And so he walked into the Russian embassy and wanted something done there. And he proposed this kind of off the top of his head because he's a dum-dum. That is possibility number two. And possibility number three is that there's actual corruption going on. So here's the way this played out over the weekend. James Clapper, the former head of the CIA under President Obama, he, he has said over and over and over he has no evidence of collusion between the Trump team and the Russians. But he says a warning light was on regarding Russian collusion. But just from a theoretical standpoint, I will tell you that um, uh, my dashboard warning light was clearly on, and I think that was the case with uh, all of us in the intelligence community, very concerned about uh, the nature of these uh, uh, approaches uh, to the Russians. Okay, so that's the one that the left is is leaning on, the right is leaning on the fact he says he has no evidence of collusion. Both can be true. You can be suspicious, and you can also say there's no evidence as of yet. Uh, General John Kelly is the head of the Department of Homeland Security, and he said that no one should be worried about setting up these back channels. Everybody has back channels. What's the big deal? Uh, Any way that you can communicate uh, with people, particularly uh, uh, organizations that are maybe not particularly friendly to us is, is a good thing. And, 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 and again, it comes back to whatever the communication is, comes back into the government and shared across the government. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a bad thing to have multiple uh, communication lines to any government. Okay, but then he was asked, well, how about using the Russian embassy? And he didn't really have a great answer to that. We'll get to some more reactions to the Kushner story and what I really think is going on in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Legacy Box. So 
as I say frequently, preserving your memories is, I think, one of the most important things that you can do. My wife and I take tons of pictures of our kids. We have lots of old video. My parents have lots of old video of us. And that's why my parents have been using Legacy Box to send material to Legacy Box. What you do is you take your old films, all your old pictures, all your old reels, your old tapes. You send them from, Le from you to Legacy Box. You send them to Legacy Box. You slap a, a barcode on each of those pieces. And then they compile all of that into a DVD or a thumb drive. So you have all of it available at a minute's notice. You don't have to worry about schlepping boxes out of the house in case of an emergency. Instead, you just got a thumb drive or you got it on your computer, which is awesome. Legacy Box take care, uh, takes care of everything, and they provide updates at every step. That's what those barcodes are for, so they can scan those in. You can tell where each piece of your memorabilia is uh, in the process. Over a quarter million families have used them already. And for a limited time, you go to LegacyBox.com right now slash Ben. LegacyBox.com slash Ben. And you get a 40% discount on your order. It's already great price. And now you get a 40% discount when you go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben. Great Father's Day gift. LegacyBox.com slash Ben. Uh, again, LegacyBox.com slash Ben. Make sure you preserve all of your memories and it makes a fantastic Father's Day gift or Mother's Day gift uh, or birthday gift. It's just it's a fantastic product. Okay, so... Meanwhile, uh, the, so basically the left is saying that Kushner is obviously colluding, and the right is saying, well, no, channels of communication have been a way of doing business for a long time. Charles Krauthammer has a different take. He says there's no reason to trust the story in the first place. I mean, what if it's the Russians who are leaking it just to make trouble? Well, I'm with Lindsay here. Uh, I don't uh, trust the story. The Russians are leaking it clearly on a channel they know we're going to pick up. The Russians are masters of disinformation. They already have Washington with its knickers in a twist over the Russia conspiracy. This is an added uh, twist. Somebody's going to get a hernia here. I think I'll stop the metaphor if you at would. that point. But um, we have no idea if it's true. Let's say it is true. Isn't the, the problem here, the accusation here, that there was some collusion during the campaign with the Russians? Well, everyone agrees if the story is true. It occurred after the campaign, during the transition. So unless there's some nefarious connection here, there's no connection to the, what, what, what was alleged to have happened during the campaign. And lastly, we've had back channel connections with adversaries for generations. Henry Kissinger had them with the Russians and the Chinese. Hillary had a back channel to establish the opening of negotiations with the Iranians in what ended up as the Iranian nuclear deal. And Barack Obama with Cuba. It's absolutely, no, yeah, and, and the negotiations with Canada occurred in secret, in, occurred in Canada in secret, our negotiations with the Cubans. This happens all the time. I don't quite understand where's the crime other than it's another piece that has Russia in the headline, Trump people in the headline, and thus it's supposed to be scandalous. Show me. Okay, and I, I agree with Krauthammer. I don't see what's scandalous about the story. It's not really standing up to scrutiny over time. However, I do want to talk about why it is that Americans are drawing such divergent conclusions from the behavior of the Trump administration and how Trump can help cure that. Some of this is the media, and the media are never going to let go of it. But I want to talk about what Trump can do to get past this because it will dog him regardless of who you blame. It's going to continue to dog him until we come to some sort of 
realistic conclusion on all of this. So in order for you to hear about that, though, you're going to have to go to dailywire.com right now and become a subscriber. So for $8 a month, you can go over to dailywire.com and you become a subscriber. If you're a daily, if you're already uh, a normal subscriber, you get an annual subscription, then not only will you still have access to the rest of the live show and be part of the mailbag and be part of Andrew Clavin's mailbag, see the rest of his live show. We're going to be adding new material in the coming months. That's going to be really stellar. But if you become an annual subscriber right now, you get a free signed copy of a book I wrote with my dad, Say It So, Papa, Dad, Me, and the 2005 Chicago White Sox Championship Season. Brand new book uh, from me and my dad, all about fathers and sons and baseball. My dad and I are both huge baseball fans. Perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Annual subscription uh, at Daily Wire, and you get a free signed copy. Uh, I will sign it for you, and I can promise you it's a really fun book. It's a a great book, and and again, even if you don't love baseball, uh, I think that the the father-son stuff in there is really, it's it's actually kind of moving. So uh, you should pick up a copy, but you can only do that as an annual subscriber over at dailywire.com. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So one of the things I think that's happening right now is that we have a an attempt by everyone in the political world to buckle down in their own bubbles. Uh, we, we've talked before about the idea that there are bubbles in politics and that we tend to engage in confirmation bias. Whatever backs our position, we tend to we tend to back. Whatever doesn't, we tend to ignore. And this Russia story is a perfect example of this. If you start with the premise that Donald Trump is corrupt and that the Russians were helping out Trump, then all of the evidence lines up in favor of that theory. If you start off from the premise that Trump is an amateur, he's learning as he goes, he makes mistakes, he does some dumb things, but there's no evidence of anything going on here, then all the evidence lines up with that as well. And we need to acknowledge the vagueness in the, in the evidentiary line in order for us to sort of understand where this goes from here. So if you start off from the premise that 17 intelligence agencies said the Russians were involved in the election cycle and that they wanted Hillary Clinton to be damaged by these revelations from WikiLeaks uh, and by the hacking of the DNC and the stealing of John Podesta's emails and all of this, then you look at a line of evidence that looks something like this. Michael Flynn was Trump's close advisor and deeply involved with the Russians, was getting money from Russia Today, did a dinner where he sat next to Vladimir Putin. Uh, he was also involved with the Turkish government, get, made half a million dollars from the Turkish government during the 2016 election cycle, and then was fibbing about his conversations with Ambassador Sergei Kislyak uh, in front of Mike Pence, making Pence go out there and make a fool of himself. Donald Trump's campaign manager was Paul Manafort, who is clearly a very dirty guy. Uh, I don't know Manafort, but I knew one of Manafort's sort of emissaries. He, he approached me in 2012, 2013, because he wanted me to write a bunch of stuff about Ukraine uh, in favor of the then pro-Russian dictator uh, Yanukovych. Uh, I declined any pay on those grounds. I thought that it, I'm not willing to write stuff that I don't believe for pay, so uh, I, w- I didn't do that. I think I wrote one column about Ukraine that, that really was not super favorable to Yanukovych in any case, um, but talked about his opponent, Timoshenko. Um, but the point is, the guy who approached me said, Manafort's in bed with the Russians, he's in bed with the Ukrainians, basically, and he's making mo- tons of money, and there's a lot of money being made in this particular area. So Manafort's been dirty and been in bed with the Russians for a long time. Uh, so him as campaign manager, is it possible that he was working with the Russians in order to benefit Trump, and that Trump either knew about it or didn't know about it? Yeah, that's possible. Carter Page, one of Trump's foreign policy advisors, was apparently being recruited by the Russians as some sort of unwitting agent in all of this. Uh, and then, you know, Trump firing James Comey and then saying it was to, it was to prevent pressure over the Russia investigation, Trump continually making noises about he wants the Russia investigation to shut down. All of it, if you start with the premise that Trump is guilty, all of it lines up with the conclusion that Trump is guilty. Now, here's what we on the right think. 
There's no evidence of any collusion. You know, Russia was doing what Russia was doing. We still don't have any hard evidence that Trump's people were talking with the Russians about shifting the election cycle. We have no evidence, certainly, that Trump himself was involved in this. Trump is very frustrated. Trump is angry. Trump doesn't understand why it is that people are doing what they're doing and, and slandering his good name, as he sees it. Uh, and so he fires Comey because he's frustrated that Comey won't just say the truth, which is there is no evidence. He's angry with the intelligence community because the intelligence community keeps leaking smoke where there is no fire. He's angry because Jared Kushner is being unfairly maligned over a story in which Kushner may or may not have sought some sort of back-channel communications, but who cares? It's back-channel communication. Now, how does the Kushner story fit in? So, the right says, well, they say what Krauthammer says, no story here. Also, if Kushner is setting up a back-channel now, then wouldn't that sort of say that there was no collusion before, right? Why set up a back-channel now if you already had a back-channel? If you're on the left, what you say is that's not a really good argument. The fact is that Kushner probably didn't think that his father-in-law was going to win the presidency. He may have had some sort of communications with the Russians about finances, but once his dad, his father-in-law won, then he had to set up a really, really secure back channel because now he's going to be under a lot more scrutiny. If his, dad, if his father-in-law had lost, then it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Everybody would have just ignored the rest of it because who cares Hillary would have won. After he won, then it was time to set up a more back channel negotiation, so no proof that they hadn't been talking earlier. And that's what the left would say. So, again, the point here is that you can draw two very different narratives from the same set of facts depending on the premise that you're using. And so what I would suggest is that we each put aside whatever premise we're using and we let the evidence fall where it may. There's not enough evidence right now to say Trump-Russia collusion. There's not enough evidence now to let Trump off the hook for the Trump-Russia stuff. There just isn't. Uh, and the way that Trump could fix this is by stop acting suspiciously. And what I mean by that is that his frustration is leading him to make impetuous decisions that don't reflect well on him, and that's hurting him. And so what I would suggest to President Trump is just go silent on this stuff. Every time there's a report, you say, listen— Robert Mueller's in charge. There's a full investigation of all of this going on. If impropriety is found, we will deal with it. I am not responsible for impropriety. My campaign was not responsible for impropriety. And we are confident that after Robert Mueller does the full shtick, then he will find there's nothing wrong here. You can quote anonymous sources all day, giving you vague information that is unconfirmable. But I'm going to deny what I'm going to deny. And I'm not going to comment on all the rest until the investigation is finished, because that's why we have a special investigator. That's why the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein set up a special investigator. All of this stuff you can buzz about it, you can talk about it, but in the end, let's get back to the business of the American people. Instead, Trump is going on Twitter and he's fulminating about the fake news, which makes him look angry. So from the right, we say, well, he's angry because he's genuinely angry. From the left, they say he's angry because he doesn't want to get caught and he's peeved about it. So the best thing Trump could do is maybe the one thing he won't, which is just go silent on this stuff and allow the investigation to go forward because what he's doing right now is breathing oxygen into the room. Now, with all of this going on, it is also obvious that the media are out to get President Trump in an extraordinary way. Their, their focus on supposed Trump-Russia collusion when there's no evidence, as James Clapper says, there's no evidence of yet uh, of Trump-Russia collusion is amazing. They're all, their attempt also to make Trump into some sort of disaster on the world stage is really over the top. You know, Trump made... Not a, I don't think he made a lot of big mistakes on this on this foreign policy trip. I think that the NATO meet was not great. The, the G7 meet was not great. His big mistake there is he should have come out. He should have full-scale embraced Article 5, warned Putin about Article 5, basically saying, if you're a member of NATO, we will defend you. He sort of edged around it. And then General Mattis went out and cleaned up his work after him and said, don't worry, we're going to stand by Article 5. Everything is hunky-dory. But he should have said more. Uh, it, it gives a signal to Vladimir Putin that Trump is wavering on all of this. And John McCain, Senator McCain, uh, who I don't love for a lot of reasons, but on this is correct. He says that Vladimir Putin is a big, bigger global threat than ISIS, and we should take that seriously. 
How much of a threat to global security do you consider the Russian President Vladimir Putin? I think he is the premier and most important threat, more so than ISIS. I think ISIS can do terrible things, and I worry a lot about what is happening with the Muslim faith, and I worry about a whole lot of things about it. But it's the Russians who are trying, who tried to destroy the very fundamental of democracy, and that is to change the outcome of an American election. Now, I have seen no evidence they succeeded, but they, they tried, and they are still trying. They are still trying to change election. They just tried to affect the outcome of the French election. So um, I've, I view Vladimir Putin, who has dismembered Ukraine, a sovereign nation, who is putting pressure on the Baltics. I view the Russians as a far is the far greatest challenges that we have. Okay, so they may not be a threat in terms of terror attack, but they certainly are a threat in terms of global security. Here's something that people need to understand. I think Trump needs to understand this. I think Mattis does understand this. America's strength on the world stage is why more of the world is free. It is why you have nice things, okay? The fact is that we don't participate in global foreign policy because we just feel like sacrificing American blood and treasure. It's because the car that you drive is a result of the foreign policy that we have pursued. The fact that the world, the Western world, lives under the umbrella of American security is of benefit to American citizens. The fact that you're driving a BMW right now and not at the behest of Adolf Hitler is because of American foreign policy. The reason that you are engaged with, with Japanese products, the reason that the parts in your phone are made in South Korea, this is all because of the umbrella of American security. American security has provided the, the necessary preconditions for global trade and more freedom at home and abroad because the fact is that an, Amer an American under, um, America under siege is a less free America. In times of war, America gets less free. This is true on everything from surveillance under the Bush administration to internment under FDR. Whenever America is free, that requires us to be muscular on the global stage. Vladimir Putin threatens that muscularity, and when he goes out there and he dismembers sovereign nations, America's sphere of influence grows smaller. More nations fall into the sway of people like Vladimir Putin. You may think that has no impact on you, but the fact is it does have impact in terms of the products that you buy, in, the, in terms of the job that that you have in terms of the growth of the global economy, things like this matter. If you're worried about your job, the last thing you need is for more markets to be shutting their doors to America, which is one of the things Vladimir Putin would like to pursue. If it, the last thing you need is for China to, to increase its sphere of influence in the South Pacific, swallowing up nations in trade agreements that we're not privy to. That's the last thing you need if you're a company that's seeking to grow on the world stage. I know we're all afraid of being outcompeted, but the fact is America outcompetes everybody. Our economy is the size of the rest of the global economy combined. This notion that America is, is somehow on the ropes and that if we engage in trade or we engage in global foreign policy that it hurts us is just stupid. We're, in, we're inestimably more rich right now than we were in 1945. We're significantly more rich now than we were in 1917. You know, this idea that, that we can retreat from the world stage, Putin can fill the gap, the Chinese can fill the gap, and everything will be hunky-dory is just not true. And this is why I think that it's important that we recognize that when it comes to things like NATO, okay, NATO isn't just about... We have, we're gonna, we have to send our, our people to die in far-off lands like Estonia in order to preserve some sort of status quo ante. That's not what this is about. This is about the guarantees that we provide to NATO are in our interest. I know that Trump is very mad that all these people aren't paying 2% into the NATO fund. Okay, that's fair. I think it's fair to pressure them to pay more into NATO. But the fact is NATO is in our interest, okay? It's because of NATO that we have a largely disarmed Germany. It's because of NATO that we have a largely disarmed you know, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. It's because we have treaties and bases in Japan that Japan is not rearmed. It's why Japan doesn't have a nuclear weapon. These are good things. Okay, it's good that America has more power because even if there's a country that we like, like Germany, 
if Germany has the power to do bad things, that's not going to be great for us because they may not agree with us. Okay, us filling the gap doesn't just mean us filling the gap in terms of preventing our enemies from rising. It also means that people who we consider our erstwhile friends, you know, we don't control their foreign policy. It's good for us to control some of their foreign policy. I know there are isolationists who think that it's bad. It is not bad. The fact is that we spent more blood and treasure in the first half of the 20th century than we have in any other foreign entanglements. And since then, we've spent far less. Why? Because we didn't have to engage in two world wars. And that's because of American influence abroad. With that said, that's, that's why I think it's important. You know, let, everybody's getting lost in the trees with regard to you know, what NATO nations pay. But I don't really care that much if Estonia pays 1.7% of its budget to, to, of GDP to defense or if Germany pays 1.5%. Would it be better if they paid two? Yes, of course. Is that a key issue in foreign policy? No, it's not a key issue in foreign policy. Now, that said... You know, I think that the Europeans are being stupid in their own way, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Policy Genius. So, do you have life insurance? Because if you don't, you need it. Okay, you need life insurance on a personal level, on a business level. I have two life insurance policies, one for my family. We have one for the company as well, uh, which gives my partners an incentive to kill me if our ratings go down. But in any case, life insurance is a great way to protect the people around you. But the, ba- the best way to get a great policy with the best service is over at PolicyGenius.com. They're the best online life insurance marketplace. They give you the most accurate quotes from the top A-rated life insurance companies. They've placed over $5 billion in life insurance for people like you. They have a licensed customer service team to help you find the best policy at the best price. And they even have other insurance offerings like pet insurance, for example. They have a very simple, user-friendly website. You can shop, compare all the top-rated life insurance companies, and they will give you the best options. Go to PolicyGenius.com today. You will save 40% over, uh, off other prices for life insurance because, basically, it's a clearinghouse for everybody competing, and they cut out the middleman so you don't have to worry about agents trying to upsell you. That's PolicyGenius, P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S.com. P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S.com, policygenius.com. No jargon, no sales pressure, no hassle, and you get the best life insurance policies for the lowest available price. Again, it is policygenius.com. Check it out uh, because you need it and uh, it is worthwhile protecting your family. Okay, so as I say, I think that you know Trump not doing the right thing on NATO in terms of making the right signals is dangerous. That said, the Europeans are really being stupid. So Angela Merkel, who is the chancellor of Germany, because of domestic politics, is now basically taking an anti-Trump stance. So Trump is trying to drive a hard bargain with the Europeans for his political base, and Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, the leader of France, they're trying to show that they're independent of Trump for their own political base. So Angela Merkel comes out and she says, we're on our own, we don't need Trump anymore, we're going to have to act like we're we're the great defenders of, of Europe. The times when we could completely count on others, they are over to a certain extent. I have experienced this in the last few days, and that is why I can only say that we Europeans must really take our fate into our own hands. Okay, so here's the reality. When she says stuff like this, it is so intensely stupid. It is so intensely stupid. One of the reasons that it is so intensely stupid is because she is still going to need our help. Okay, Donald Trump is a, is a mercurial guy. And ticking Donald Trump off just for your own domestic consumption, just for your own pride, is really incredibly stupid. It's incredibly stupid because the fact is that the Russian Republic has a... They are, they are significantly more powerful. They are significantly more powerful than the, than the German military. I mean, like, by an enormous extent, by a huge, huge extent. Okay, Russia is, they are, they are ranked, I believe, number two in terms of, in terms of global 
general military strength. In terms of global firepower, I believe that, that Russia is number two on the planet. If you look at if you look at Russia versus Germany, I believe that Russia outranks Germany by a factor of like ten to one in terms of aircraft. Uh, Germany's ranked number nine in terms of global military. So manpower available. Russia has 70 million people available. Germany has 37 million people available. Uh, in terms of aircraft, Russia has 3,800 aircraft available. This is from globalfirepower.com. Germany has 698 aircraft. Okay, they're dramatically, dramatically outnumbered. In terms of helicopters, they're outnumbered 1,400 to 375. In terms of attack helicopters, they're outnumbered 490 to 47. In terms of fighter aircraft, they're outnumbered 806 to 92. So Germany has allowed us to pick up the slack for years. So here's the thing. When it comes to Germans not spending 2% of GDP on their own military, they're the ones who lose because of right. right it's German, Germany who falls. So it's Germany's own fault that they did this. And them drawing away from Trump just because they want to prove to people that they're independent and strong, really stupid. They should be making overtures to Trump. They're shooting themselves in the foot. Basically, it's a lot of stupid people on foreign policy doing a lot of stupid things over and over and over again. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So let's do it. Things I like. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the, the problems that President Trump talked about in, uh, in Riyadh a little bit ago. Um, the problem of modernizing Islam. How do we get past radical Islam? Really interesting book out by Christine Douglas Williams. I think it comes out next month. It's called The Challenge of Modernizing Islam. Uh, I read this over the weekend. It's a series of interviews with Islamic reformers. These are people who have been threatened with death. Uh, for the crime of having spoken out against radical fundamentalist Islam. These people include people like Zudi Jasser and Taufik Hamid and Rahil Raza. And uh, they're asked tough questions about the Quran and what it says and how they read verses that are difficult to interpret in any decent way. Uh, and, um, and then the last hundred pages or so is all about how to modernize Islam so that Islam can enter the modern world. This is the big challenge because as much as we talk about military firepower and fighting the terrorists, the fact is that Islam is the fastest growing religion on the planet, uh, and they continue to convert people at an astounding rate. There are 1.5 billion Muslims on planet Earth. There's going to be need some need to be some some radical reshifting inside Islam, and the people to do it are some of the people who talk in this book, The Challenge of Modernizing Islam. It's from Encounter Books. I think it's available next month, so go out and check it out. Okay, other things that I like. Okay, so um, there is a uh, th this is pretty crazy. So in Texas. There was a there was a, a rally against Senate Bill Four, which is a new law signed earlier this month that imposes penalties on sanctuary cities. During the protest, a bunch of illegal immigrant protesters showed up and started chanting and shouting and, and threatening people. And Republican Representative Matt Rinaldi claimed that he called ICE on the floor. He said, "Okay, you're all illegal immigrants. ICE is coming for you," which of course meant that a Democrat went crazy. And here's a little bit of tape of that. Illegal immigrants have talked. The, the, the Republican said that he called Immigration Naturalization Services, um, and, uh, and at that point, one of the Democrats threatened to shoot him, which just demonstrates which side the Democrats are on when it comes to this. I like clarifying events. This particularly is a clarifying event. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So, uh, I could have put this in things I like also. But I decided not to. So um, the so last night, in case you were not watching, uh, there was a game between the San Francisco Giants and the Washington Nationals. And Bryce Harper is one of the best players in the majors, uh, one of the youngest players ever to hit as many home runs as he has. Terrific, terrific player. Uh, and Hunter Strickland was the pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. In the playoffs a couple of years ago, Harper hit a couple home runs 
off of Strickland. Uh, in the game yesterday, Strickland absolutely plunked him. I mean, it was clear that, that, he, that he threw at him on purpose. Uh, and Harper charges the mound. And baseball fights, I put this in stuff I hate just because baseball fights are always kind of a cross between the hippo ballet in Fantasia and a hockey fight, which is to say they're a fight, but they have none of the actual damaging power or skill of a hockey fight where people actually go to knock each other's teeth out. And you will see that here. On ESPN this year, and as ooh, done a great job. And Hunter Strickland. Now here we go. Harper's charging the mound. Oh my goodness! Whoa. Okay, so um, they're bad at this. Uh, <laughs> the, the only there have only been a couple of great baseball fights in uh, in baseball history. One of them was, of course, that fight between the, the Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays last year uh, where Jose Bautista just got clocked. What was the name of the guy who clocked him? Um, I, uh, Odor? Uh, Odor. Yeah, so he, he clocked him in the face. Really got in a solid right cross to, 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 uh, to Bautista's jaw. That was a solid baseball fight. This is about as bad a baseball fight as you will see. Uh, first of all, you, Bryce Harper plays baseball professionally. If you're going to throw a helmet at somebody, you should really attempt to throw it in their general direction. Uh, and then uh, just the amount of boy band hair that's happening during this baseball fight is pretty astounding. Uh, you can watch it again real quick. It's about 10 seconds long. Look where he throws this helmet. I mean, this is really... Where's it going? It's the second base. And there it is. And they're fighting each other kind of in girly fashion. I mean, these guys are, are both buff. I mean, they could really hurt each other if they tried, but the, the best was, uh, we don't actually have the tape of it, but Jeff Samarsta, who's a pitcher for the for the Giants, I believe, he, he comes out of the bullpen and he runs into his own guy. Like, he's way too enthusiastic, and so he just, like, runs right into his own guy. Again, uh, baseball fights that are like hockey fights, except without the danger or skill involved. So that's that's pretty excellent. Uh, okay, final point, and then we'll and then we'll go. Uh, Dan Rather has sent a letter to President Trump asking him to condemn what happened over the weekend when there was a guy who was shouting racial slurs at a Muslim girl, and two guys got up and tried to defend the Muslim girl, and he stabbed two of them to death. The third guy was was really deeply wounded. Um, and so Rather wants to make it seem like this is Trump's fault, even though the guy who committed the atrocity was, if apparently, either Bernie Sanders' guy or Jill Stein guy. Apparently, he's just crazy. I mean, that's really, if you read his Facebook post, he's obviously just a nut. But the idea here is that the left is trying to create a counter-narrative where the right is creating all sorts of violence in the country, this fascist violence against Muslims. It's not true, but the left, instead of reckoning with the fact that radical Islam is a threat, instead they decide that it's actually the right that's the deepest threat to America. And in order to promulgate that, they've taken this situation in Portland and tried to say that it is the outgrowth of a particular ideology that Trump is pushing. There is a bad ideology out there of white supremacy, but Trump is not actively pushing it. And to pretend that he is, is to be ignorant and, and disingenuous about politics. Okay, so we'll be back here on Friday because tomorrow and Thursday uh, are both Jewish holidays. So try to take care of yourselves for that. This is when the Jews receive the Torah, so we'll be celebrating that. We'll be back on Friday with the mailbag and plenty more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 